Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I'm so glad you are able to tune in with us today for a very important conversation. Um, Our topic today is understanding human trafficking and really what a community needs to do, um, really collaboratively, to address the issue of human trafficking. Um, And this is an issue that happens in communities across the nation and worldwide. So um, just to give you a little sense of this issue, we see every year that there's millions of men, women, and children who are trafficked countries around the world, including the United States. It's estimated that human trafficking generates many billions of dollars to profit of profit per year, second only to drug trafficking as the most profitable form of transnational crime. So how did human trafficking become so pervasive and what do we need to do to impact this crime? So I'm really excited to share with you ex- experts from our Buffalo, New York area here to talk about the field of human trafficking and share their perspectives from a victim advocate perspective perspective, criminal justice investigation perspective, to talk about this issue, why it's such a hidden crime, and what do we need to do to collaborate as a community um, to help victims find justice and safety. So I have three guests that are going to be joining me today throughout the show. Um, I first want to introduce Amy Fleischhauer, who's the Director of Survivor Support Services at the International Institute of Buffalo. And I also have with me today Tara Hughes, who's the Project Director for Trafficked Youth at the International Institute of Buffalo. And I also have um, Special Agent James Spiro, um, who's in charge of U.S. Homeland Security Investigations and responsible for oversight of immigration and customs-related investigations within the Northern and Western Districts of New York. So you'll be hearing a little bit more from Tara and James um, as we get started in the show. So I want to start off with Amy um, to kind of really help our listeners understand what is human trafficking. Thank you for having us today, uh, Jessica. So simply put, uh, human trafficking is a crime in which one person grooms or recruits another vulnerable person um, to make profit from them uh, through force or fraud or coercion. So, you know, I think one of the things that we want to make sure we highlight today is good education around this issue. So I know one question I have for you is helping us understand the differences between trafficking and smuggling. And what does that mean so that the average listener better understands the issue? Sure. So when we're talking about um, smuggling, of course, uh, we're talking about uh, bringing somebody over an international border. So I think it's uh, before we answer that, it's even important to highlight that individuals can be trafficked um, within the United States, within the same community, as well as over international borders. When we're talking about smuggling, um, we're talking about a crime against the state. So both parties um, agree that uh, someone is going to smuggle another person over the border. It's an agreement that they've made and uh, someone's brought across the border and uh, the relationship ends as soon as uh, that border is crossed. So that would be, again, a crime against the state. And if 
uh, when a crime like that is identified, then the smuggler would be prosecuted for that crime and the individual would most likely be sent back to that country of origin. Um, human trafficking is uh, involves this forced fraud or coercion. So there's really a piece of exploitation that's inevitably involved in that crime. It's a crime against a person. So um, it can either involve uh, forced fraud or coercion at the beginning of that relationship. Maybe okay. somebody's promised, um, we're going to bring you into the United States and you'll work at this specific job. And once the border is crossed, that's not true. Um, but I see just as often that uh, the relationship starts as a smuggling agreement. So I'm going to bring you across the border. I need to. I want to go to the United States to make more money. Um, I want to get in. I know that I'm coming into the United States illegally. Um, but once that happens, once that individual brings uh, the other person across the border, uh, the relationship turns into an exploitive relationship. So you now owe me money for bringing you across the border, or you owe me more money than we originally agreed upon, or you're in debt to me. And the way that you can work off that debt is through um, work in, uh, through labor or sex. Okay, okay. So how big of a problem is this? So the real answer is that nobody has any idea. Um, we have a lot of statistics out there. Um, the National Human Trafficking Hotline uh, has identified um, since 2007 that they've spoken to nearly 30,000 uh, victims of human trafficking, mostly in the United States. Here in Western New York, we've worked with over uh, 750 survivors of human trafficking since 2007. Um, but those statistics are really just indicative of the cases that we've identified. Right, right. Um, we've, I've been working in uh, survivor and victim services for over 20 years. I've never worked um, on a crime that's so hidden. Mm -hmm. um, nobody ever calls us and says, I'm a victim of human trafficking. Right. Whereas um, often somebody will call a sexual assault or domestic violence hotline and they're able to identify themselves in that way as a victim of that crime. Human trafficking is um, still relatively new um, as a, a prosecuted crime in the United States um, in, in uh, various states across uh, this country with state laws. So um, again, we really have no idea. Um, and the other thing that we're seeing is the statistics that we have, again, are very skewed. Um, the statistics out there of identified victims, um, sex trafficking survivors far outnumber labor trafficking survivors. Um, girls uh, and women that are trafficked, those numbers far outweigh um, the number of identified male uh, victims. But that isn't necessarily indicative of what's actually out there. That's only indicative what, uh, of what we as a community have been able to identify, investigate, and prosecute. Mm -hmm. Now, I know it's important when we're talking about this this type of conversation is really to help address myths that might be out there around this topic. Is there anything specific you'd like to share with the listeners to help kind of maybe change some education around what this issue is about? Sure. Um, I'm sure between um, James, Tara, and I who are, who are here today, we've probably done um, 500 trainings on human trafficking at least. Um, and I know every time I start to talk to an audience, whether that be a group of uh, a block club or a group of service providers or a faith community um, or law enforcement, I always start by asking, so most human trafficking victims look like what? Um, and no matter what audience I'm in, 
every audience says that they're mostly female, mostly young, mostly trafficked into uh, sex work, and mostly from um, either the United States or Eastern European countries. That's really what every audience identifies as the most common victim of human trafficking. And while certainly those are some faces of human trafficking, again, we really have no idea about what's more prevalent than others. But what I can say is that um, we have worked with an unbelievably diverse um, uh characteristics of different victims. So we've worked with uh, many victims of labor trafficking uh, who have escaped from construction sites, Mm -hmm. from farms, uh, from meatpacking plants, hair braiding establishments, hotels and motels, casino work, uh, restaurants. Really, the list goes on and on. Um, Nationally, there are some cases of even um, higher uh, level types of industries where victims have escaped from. Uh, There was a group of teachers who were trafficked in Louisiana, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, So I think that that view that there's only one type of trafficking is really the most dangerous myth that's out there because I think it really limits the types of tips that come into our offices because people are only looking for that young Asian or young Mm -hmm. um, runaway uh, U.S. um, citizen teenager who has been trafficked into the sex industry, which again, of course, is another prevalent type of human trafficking. Okay. Okay. So... I think one of the things to talk about, too, and I think you've highlighted a little bit, but um, is an understanding that human trafficking victims um, are just transported across national borders, like an understanding that this could be from community to community, not necessarily larger national borders that people are crossing, correct? I mean, right. So movement is part of the crime. It's one of the elements of the crime. But movement, um, that's never the element that we have trouble identifying. <laughs> um, movement can certainly be across uh, international border here in western New York. Um, and actually across New York State, we see a significant number of farm workers who are recruited from Central America and Mexico, brought through the southern border um, directly into New York State and trafficked mm-hmm. onto farms. So certainly that is uh, can be one example. Um, but we just as often see, um, for instance, Asian women that are recruited uh, through Asian um, newspapers in New York City and come into um, to Buffalo and are trafficked um, at massage parlors or um, on back page um, or even through street prostitution. Um, We also see young um, homeless and runaway youth who may be recruited or identified outside their group home or at a bus station and are just moved um, two blocks to a restaurant or to to some type of brothel. So the movement piece can really be uh, a matter of to uh, city street blocks. Right, right. So how do traffickers recruit their victims? What does that look like? So it's very similar to what we see in the dynamics of domestic violence. Um, I think one uh, parallel that will be germane for your audience is uh, I often say that domestic violence is about power and control. Human trafficking is about power and control for profit. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what we see those uh, with traffickers is that same type of 
um, gift, sadly, for really identifying a vulnerability within someone and exploiting that vulnerability. I'm speaking in very broad strokes right now, but in general, for the foreign-born population, um, the issue is often poverty and economic need that's exploited. Um, And then with our U.S. citizen population, um, again, not always, but it's that poverty the economic need in addition to some type of internal factor, um, a history, for example, of um, sexual abuse or a history of um, uh, any type of abuse where that grooming happens. Uh, So it can be those external factors coupled with the internal factors. Um, Traffickers uh, can be strangers, but they're just as often family members or, um, or members of someone else's ethnic community. And so, again, they're in that perfect position to be able to know and identify what that specific vulnerability is within each victim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, my, my next question was talking about those vulnerabilities, what makes them vulnerable for trafficking, and you touched on a few of those already. Is there any other ones that you would want to highlight? I mean, you talked about, obviously, for mm-hmm. poverty, um, you know, um, and just the issues around the power and control. Is there anything else that people need to understand to get a grasp of how this occurs? Sure. Um, I think the other, um, also playing into the misconceptions, um, we see uh, very few examples of the movie Trafficked, which is kind of a lot in a lot of the uh, seminars and trainings we do. People will raise their hand and say, oh, I saw that movie. And there's some kind of huge kidnapping and somebody's thrown into the back of a bus and chained. Um, I've actually only, out of all the cases that I've been involved with, I've only seen one case where someone is actually... Um, actually locked. Um, So I think that um, that's just not what we see. It's really this form of coercion. Um, So somebody who uh, is, um, again, the fear that they have that their families will find out about Mm, what's happening to them. Um, Immigration status is another piece that we see exploited very often. So um, I'm going to report you uh, to immigration. You're going to get deported. Your fam, you're not going to be making these uh, this money that you promised your family. Um, So uh, again, whatever vulnerability is there, um, and I think one of the other huge vulnerabilities is is through force, so that you yourself will be killed or your families will be killed. And um, these are really scary people. I know that's not a technical term, but you mentioned drug trafficking before. I think that we're identifying more and more as a task force that uh, human traffickers are often um, into uh, weapons trafficking and also drug trafficking. And so they're really dangerous and um, committing many federal crimes. Um, And so uh, it's a very viable threat. Um, And we've seen, especially, I know Tara and James will talk more about this, um, we've seen a huge increase in um, uh, using drugs to control victims, heroin in particular. Um, And just in our Western New York uh, community, we've had, uh, we've seen four survivors just in the last year and a half who've died because of um, heroin overdoses that, uh, and they've become addicted through the trafficking situation. So that's another vulnerability, mental health and uh, drug addiction that either the traffickers start or they capitalize on to keep, uh, to keep victims under control. Okay. So what are some of the most problematic 
problematic areas, either in the country, um, we can talk internationally as well, with trafficking. I don't know if you... Yeah, again, I wish that, I think if we knew, then we could target just <laughs> those, these, but right. it's another misconception. Trafficking happens everywhere. Everywhere there's poverty, everywhere there's vulnerabilities, trafficking is happening. So I can certainly talk about where trafficking is identified the most, um, but again, that's, uh, that is mostly because they happen to have more resources to identify the trafficking. Um, and the truth is, is that uh, in every county in New York State, and I'm sure every county across um, the United States, human trafficking is happening. Yeah, and I think it's important in your message today and, and, and our other guests will be sharing is that um, you have to realize this does happen in your own communities and that we do need to be a little bit more aware um, of some of the signs and symptoms so that we can maybe not necessarily intervene, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, but how to report this and what people need to bring forward um, to their community leaders around this issue. So um, before we head into break in, in just a minute here, I want to share a few resources with our listeners that... Um, we'll share throughout the show that I think is important for you to kind of take away uh, with today so that if you do have a concern about someone you know um, or in your own community that you can reach out for help. So there's the National Human Trafficking Resource Center um, and they have a toll-free 24-hour-a-day hotline that you can reach out to and that number is 1-888-373-7888. Again, 1-888-373-7888. And their um, website is traffickingresourcecenter.org. And we'll be sharing throughout the show various resources that you can um, tap into um, and check out. Um, I also want to highlight for our international um, listeners that there is a resource that's the globalmodernslavery.org website that you're able to find your local community services that deal with human trafficking um, throughout the world. So that website, again, is globalmodernslavery.org. Um, So we're really um, just diving into this discussion um, today, and we have a few more guests that are going to be joining us to talk about human trafficking. So please stay with us. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Crisis Services is Buffalo and Erie County, New York's safety net since 1968. We provide hope, safety, and immediate help 24 hours a day. If you need someone to talk to, or if you or a loved one needs immediate help, our crisis first responders are available anytime at any hour. You're never alone. Crisis Services is here to help. Call 716-834-3131. 716-834-3131 or visit us on the web at crisisservices.org Remember, you are never alone. Call Crisis Services 24 hours a day at 716-834-3131 Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to The Journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are talking about human trafficking and learning from local experts in the field on this issue and how to help those impacted by this crime. So joining me now is Tara Hughes, and Tara is the Project Director for Trafficked Youth at the International Institute of Buffalo here in Buffalo, New York. Um, So Tara, let's start right off to talk about who can become a victim of human trafficking. So I think Amy talked earlier about the vulnerability, and that's really what you have to start with, is that um, traffickers are exceptionally good at identifying vulnerability, and that vulnerability starts with things that Amy already talked about, poverty, um, uh, parents not being around, um, violence in neighborhoods, those kinds of things all create vulnerabilities for people. Um, Working with youth here in Buffalo, New York, one of the things that we see um, sort of exploding at the moment is that traffickers used to have to go to certain neighborhoods to find people who were that vulnerable to those kinds of things and with social media all they have to do is sit at a computer now Mm -hmm. and they will spend months sometimes grooming people on the internet and the vulnerabilities that are really picked up by the traffickers on the internet are very similar to what they're they're seeing if it's in person Um, but they're really able to identify um, unmet needs Mm -hmm. so if you need someone to act as your dad or your mom they're going to try to fill that void Uh, they're also looking at things like people being bullied in school Um, people not having a lot of friends, people needing someone really projecting that they need to connect to somebody and they swoop in and they will do that grooming very easily. Um, And as we all know, whoever whoever talks to us on on social media, we don't really know what their characteristics are. So they could tell you that they're a 17-year-old football player. And in reality, they're a 50-year-old not football player. Right. Um, and, um, and, and so the amount of manipulation that happens, you know, Amy talked about the, the force, the fraud, or the coercion that's used. Um, and the reality is that our federal law says that if you're under the age of 18, that we don't even have to identify that. It's just assumed that it's happening. And when we look at it on um, a social media platform, it's really um, sort of like someone shining lights on, on how that manipulation is happening mm-hmm. in that population. 
So it makes it yet another way for people to groom people and get immediate access and plus probably more information than they would necessarily have, especially because of social media. It's amazing how much information kids put and Mm -hmm. and by by kids, I really don't even mean just up to 18. I think really we're talking up to 25 or 30. People are putting information on social media that they don't even realize. Um, uh, Traffickers exploit things like whether you have a dog or a cat. Mm-hmm. And they all of a sudden have a dog or they have a cat because it gives them a connection to you. Um, they will connect with you because you lost a job or because your boss yelled at you today. And all of this information p- people put on social media. The other really interesting thing about social media is that it doesn't take as much time as an in-person relationship to groom because um, it's it's short little mm-hmm. touches that I can have on somebody. It's over a time period, but the actual amount of time I have to put in is not that great. So what that means is if I'm a trafficker, I can traffic, or I'm sorry, I can groom six people at the same time. And then when I'm really in need of actually starting to traffic, I pick the most vulnerable one and okay. move that relationship forward. Interesting, interesting. So, so I, one question um, that I, I had, and I it just been looking at this the the issue of human trafficking, and I know Amy talked about the different ways that it's done through either labor as well as sex trafficking. Um, the question we get a lot, and especially for any type of victim, is if it's domestic violence, if it's other types of crimes, is why don't they leave? Why don't they run away? Can you speak to why a, a victim of human trafficking might not run away from the situation? I think um, every person's going to answer that differently, but I think there's definitely some some generalities that we can say. Um, I think one of the big ones is that they often don't see themselves as a victim. And part of that dynamic is that they often do something at the very beginning that sort of introduces them into that that system. They talk to somebody at a Tim Hortons that they don't know. They they accept a friend request online. They um, send a picture of themselves to somebody. And in that moment, they feel like that takes away their... um, their chance of ever being a victim because they fed into this. Um, and so that idea that that if I, if I started this, it's all my fault right. really keeps people there because they don't identify themselves as worthy of, of needing help or, or getting help. Um, I think the other thing that we um, all remember on, on a daily basis is that in many ways these traffickers are meeting needs that are unmet otherwise. Right, um, right. They're meeting needs for housing and for food and for companionship. Often a trafficker, if they have multiple people they're trafficking, they might live together and they spend time together when they're not actually being trafficked, whether it's labor trafficking or sex trafficking. And all of a sudden there are people around and you have more of a social um, network than you did otherwise. Um, There's also a sense of I'm doing something and somebody is identifying that I'm worth something. Mm -hmm. And that um, impact on a self-esteem can really keep someone there. Um, so a lot of um, a lot of what we really look at as service providers across the country, if we're working from a trauma-informed perspective or, or a, a client-centered perspective, is really helping to fill the most basic needs. And what those really are are for safety, for choice, 
um, give, really empowering someone through that choice, um, in, in really giving someone the ability to um, direct their own life, to make some kind of decision that they can move forward on. Um, the, really, when we're talking about what traffickers do, they're meeting those basic needs. And if we can give tra trafficking victims other options, right. that's when they start to think, okay, it's I can get out because I have ways to meet these needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good point. So we talked about trauma and the impact mm -hmm. of this type of crime on both children and adults alike. But can you can you share with our listeners the impact of the trauma? Either you can maybe start with children or talk about the impact on adults. There's probably some similarities, but I'm sure there's some differences as well. So I think when you look at it there, again, we go back to some of those very basic needs of a human being, um, the need for connection, um, the need to be able to trust somebody else, the need to feel safe where you are, um, and the need to feel like you have agency, you can do something. All of that is taken away. Mm -hmm. And that's taken away regardless of whether you're 13 or 35. Um, or older or younger, um, and that 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 basic um, damage to your ability to have a relationship with another person that um, works both for you and for that person um, is really the biggest um, impact that we see over time. And that's going to look different depend depending on whether you're um, a youth and you're still developing. Um, there's a lot of things that are going on in a youth's brain that, that get very impacted. The structures of a youth's brain change when they lose all of that agency and they lose that ability to um, be able to connect to another human being. Right. If it happens um, to you as an adult and it's the only thing that has happened, sometimes you have more skills and things you can fall back on. But often what we see is one of the vulnerabilities identified in adult trafficking victims is that they were victimized in some other way as a youth. So we're really looking at um, often a lifelong um, impact on our ability as a human to connect with somebody else and to have agency to be able to do things for our, ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. So how are victims of trafficking usually identified? Um, within communities, you mean? Yeah, okay. like, so, I mean, how, how would that happen or, you know, through the process of the different um, services that are provided? Like how, you know, I know Amy touched a little bit that it's hard sometimes to, to identify, but, you know, based on the experiences we've had here, how do you usually come to light to, for example, your services to right. actually get help? So it is... Um, People who become educated, first of all, um, to really look at what they what they need to identify, what what are the red flags of trafficking, um, and though that training really has to start at an agency, um, whether it's law enforcement, service provider, um, hospital agency, mm -hmm. school agency, really across the board, there's a huge amount of training that has to happen with um, communities. And once that training kicks in, what we really have is the ability for people to start to identify um, that something's just not right, or they'll see one of the red flags that, that really indicates, um, you know, uh, you have a 17-year-old who 
um, it, it is um, known that they don't have a lot of money and all of a sudden they show up with a really expensive smartphone. Um, that's something that we look for um, because that means someone got that smartphone and um, they often had to trade something for that smartphone, right. those kinds of things. Um, so when we look at in Western New York how people are being identified, there are multiple avenues um, here. We have um, a human trafficking intervention court here where um, adults who are being arrested for prostitution are brought into that court and interventions are put into place as opposed to um, them being put into jail. Um, and there is, is a, a real push to decriminalize the victims mm -hmm. because we as a country have, have criminalized um, the victims of human trafficking across the board um, for a very long time. So that's really the goal in terms of that kind of a court and we have those across New York State and they're developing across the country as well. Um, we also have efforts um, in terms of minors, people under the age of 18, both at a state level and now there's a federal law about the identification of victims. And so there's a screening process that all, all youth who are involved with an agency that does anything connected to um, foster care okay. all have to be screened for human trafficking and there's a two-level um, assessment if there's a yes answer on a, a very brief screening that's done about every child then there's a more comprehensive um, assessment that needs to be done um, and that's being operationalized differently across the United States but by this November um, of 2016 it will be operationalized in all 50 states so there's a whole lot more effort being um, being made by service providers to really um, look and see what are we seeing, what's actually coming through our doors. Um, and there's a lot of that, that that's um, happening in conjunction with schools and with hospitals and with child advocacy centers mm -hmm. and um, uh, those kinds of things. So we're really, um, if I go back to the beginning of my answer, it's about education. Yeah. It's about yeah, really getting people um, informed about what they need to look for, what are the red flags, um, and um, and and what do we do once once we see those red flags, um, and it, it's that's really where we are. And I think there's a huge push that needs to continue to happen about that education. And I mean, you're, the way you describe that too, it, it really is important that all different points that a, a child might touch, or even an adult, if it's school, if it's you know college environments, if it's the hospital, like everyone has a role in helping to identify this. It's not just a victim advocate provider uh, responsibility or a law enforcement responsibility. It really is a very multidisciplinary need to make sure that people are educated and aware of how to identify uh, human trafficking. So when somebody, um, you know, when an individual is trafficked and there's intervention or they're identified, you know, a lot of times people feel that they, they're rescued from the situation. So can you talk about what happens to the victim once they leave that situation? So first I want to talk about um, the word rescued um, and um, that's a word along with the word saved that we really try to avoid. It takes um, a lot of that um, client-centered uh, choice and agency away from the people who are in these situations um, and so we really look to identify um, ways to create options 
for people who are in these situations and enable them to see those options, which then will, it, once they take the options, will lead to stability. So we're really looking at empowering people to find their own agency and find their own choices to get out of situations as opposed to going in and saving them or rescuing them. So um, so we're really looking at client-centered, and again, we go back to that trauma-informed kind of idea where we're looking at um, choice, we're looking at safety, we're looking at empowerment, we are giving them um, a relationship with us, hopefully, um, and our law enforcement partners often, um, where they can learn to trust another person because, again, that's been taken away from them, especially people who are part of the system. You know, the system has, um, um, has often treated them very poorly, but traffickers are also incredibly good at reminding them that they've been treated poorly and exploiting that idea that yeah. the system will continue to treat you poorly. So um, we really um, look at uh, trying to build a very transparent relationship with people built on trust. They know even if we have to do some things that, that they may not like or we may not like, mm-hmm. they know what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the, those needs are. Um, I work with minors and so Child Protective Services is involved and there are times where we have to make that phone call. Um, and that's not an easy phone call to make right. at any point. Right. Um, but in this situation, we often, uh, we always try to do that with the person sitting with us so that they know exactly what's been said, that we're as transparent as possible. So we're really looking at being as client-centered as possible and giving people um, the stability that they need in terms of housing, access to services, food, um, um, access to education, job training, those kinds of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, we're going to be heading into break in in just a few seconds here, but I just want to remind our listeners that we do have various resources that you can reach out to um, for more information um, or if you need to report a concern that you're aware of. Uh, The National Human Trafficking Resource Center has a toll-free hotline, and that number is one 888 Three seven three seven eight eight eight. Again, one eight eight eight. 373-7888. So please stay tuned. We have a lot more to talk about around the issue of human trafficking. Um, you're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. 
Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. We have been discussing um, the issue of human trafficking and really understanding this issue and how it impacts um, in our own communities um, and learning about the issue and what we can do about it. So my next guest today um, is Special Agent uh, James Spiro, um, who's a special agent in charge of the U.S. Homeland Security Investigations and responsible for the Buffalo, New York area. So I um, wanted to get his perspective um, you know, from the, the investigative side, um, what this looks like. But to get started, can we talk a little bit about what is Homeland Security investigation so our listeners have a ba- baseline of what that really is? Yeah, that, certainly. Well, thank you very much, Jessica. Thanks for having me, and thanks for bringing such a, attention to this important pro- uh, project uh, and, and, and problem for, for us. Uh, human trafficking is a big issue for HSI. Uh, each year, it's one of our top priorities. And and just to give you a little bit of uh, an idea of what uh, Homeland Security Investigations mission is and who we are, and, and uh, you know, we call ourselves HSI. Uh, we are the Department of Homeland Security's principal uh, investigative agency. Uh, and what, what that means is, is that our special agents or our criminal investigators, along with our uh, uh, intel research specialists and mission support folks, concentrate on conducting transnational criminal investigations, investigating them and ultimately taking them to, uh, to prosecution, taking them to the U.S. Attorney's Office for, for, for prosecution. We are one section of the agency that's called Immigration Customs Enforcement otherwise known as ICE. So HSI is part of ICE, and ICE is one of the 22 agencies and components that are in the Department of Homeland Security. So um, what our mission is, what the HSI mission is, is to um, uh, identify, disrupt, and dismantle transnational criminal organizations who seek to exploit America's trade, travel, and financial systems by taking advantage of or breaking immigration and customs laws of the United States. Uh, we've got a, a, a pretty diverse portfolio because we do have jurisdiction over anything that's transnational mm-hmm. uh, uh, when it comes to transnational crime. We actually um, enforce over 400 statutes and regulations, uh, so it's a pretty diverse portfolio. Uh, and uh, in 2016, uh, our strategic mission priorities, the things that we want to focus the most on, uh, of, uh, and, and we have them pretty much in five equal uh, but different buckets, 
uh, would be first and foremost for us is always uh, homeland security or national security. Mm -hmm. And you know, and we we put a lot of our resources and attention into that. We're big contributors on the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, uh, but we also have other ways to contribute to the national security, such as making sure that uh, sensitive technologies don't get into the hands of uh, of, of countries that might want to do us or our allies harm. Right, right. We also have a vi we spend a lot of our resources making sure that uh, um, uh, drugs uh, don't come into the in, in, into the country. We have a big uh, contraband smuggling or and in, in national gang program. Uh, last year, we arrested seventy five um, transnational gang leaders and over thirty five hundred transnational gang members and seized a million dollars worth of uh, counterfeit narcotics. Um, uh, child exploitation is a big thing that we've been, uh, and it kind of goes hand in hand with some of the stuff that we've been talking about from yeah. a human trafficking standpoint, but we investigated a little differently. Uh, but we're trying to do everything that we can to make sure that our kids aren't falling victims to online predators. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, last year we had uh, 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 identified and extricated in some cases uh, from those abusive situations over a thousand victims of uh, wow. on online predators. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and then from, certainly from the, uh, our human smuggling or human trafficking um, strategic mission priority, uh, what we're here to talk about today. Um, you know, nationally last year we, uh, we had identified and again extricated over 380 victims of human trafficking uh, to just give you a little bit of perspective. And then the last strategic mission priority, and that really kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, with our work and what we're trying to accomplish when it comes to human trafficking, which is to identify, disrupt, and dismantle full organizations, because that's really the only way that we think we're going to have uh, be effective as law enforcement in this area is our financial investigations as well. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think I think um, both Tara and Amy hit on the point that uh, these exploitive situations are really for the almost 100 percent done for profit, and there's a lot of profit in there. So right. we're trying to make sure that we do everything that we can to deprive those criminal organizations of those profits and proceeds. Uh, and last year we had a, a total of 513 million dollars in seized assets mm -hmm. or, or or money uh, that we were, we were able to deprive and take away from the criminals uh, to, who were engaged in, in crimes such as human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's a pretty diverse portfolio uh, and uh, you know but human trafficking certainly is something that uh, it has each year each and every year has been a top priority for HSI and this year is no different. Absolutely. It's interesting when you say the, the organization, that you're dismantling an organization, and I think that's a really important point to, for people to understand that this isn't just one person that's involved in trafficking. This is a large, like you said, organization of, of individuals involved in this. It's such a broader perspective. So to, to understand that is, is an important piece in, in how to tackle this issue. So that, that leads me to to a, a question about of just understanding who are the traffickers. Yeah, and that's a, that is a really good point. And one of the things is is there could be there's the international side of trafficking and as well as domestic side of trafficking. And and, and I think it was Tara who pointed it out very clearly that it has to be a movement. Um, mm -hmm. There has to be a movement of somebody. And one of the things that I also uh, wanted to tell you, uh, explain to you too as well is one of the reasons why HSI is in a good position to try and make uh, an impact on human trafficking is where we're located as well. We, uh, we do have about 8,400 
um, uh, agents located throughout the world. Mm -hmm. We have 200 offices throughout the United States, and we're in 62 different um, international. We have 62 different international offices as well. And many of the instances that we see of organizations involved in human trafficking are global. This is a global problem. It's a global problem involving source countries, transit countries, right. and then destination countries. And a lot of times the destination countries right here in the United States. Right. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Mm -hmm. But some uh, and, and having that international footprint kind of helps us uh, be able to best combat uh, the human trafficking organizations, and sometimes that organization is a it, it, is a multinational organization. Sometimes it's it, it, it's a uh, it crosses state lines, and sometimes, it, as, as Tara said, just can go up and down the block. Right. Uh, but in any case, you have to have more than one person to have a traffic to, to have a trafficking incident, and that's why this kind of falls right into what we're trying to do, which is to identify the full scope of the organization. Interesting, interesting. So getting back to who are the traffickers, all right? So that is a really good question. Uh, you know, and the traffickers that we see are, uh, are I mean, they're a diverse set of criminals. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be a divert, as diverse as some of the victims that we see. Uh, anywhere between, we see, um, uh, we see recruiters in source countries who try and identify potential victims, either through force, fraud, or coercion. Maybe they're tricking someone into telling them, hey, I got a great way to, for you to become a, have a better life. You can come to this country and everything's going to be great for you. And then they trick you into coming here. And then all of a sudden it's a completely different scenario and you find yourself in an exploitive situation. There are recruiters. There are transporters who from point A to point B are in charge of making sure that you are controlled and that they hold on to your passports or hold on to your identity documents and mm -hmm. make sure that you are not free to go. Uh, and make it very clear to you that you are not free to go uh, until you've arrived at the destination that you were supposed to go. And then you have the business managers who, who run the businesses. And whether that's the shops or the, the brothels or, um, uh, or, or, uh, or the farms, um, you know, we see a, a lot of different ways that whether it's a forced labor situation or a, or a traffic or, or a commercial sex situation that, that, that people are trafficked. So we've seen uh, domestic servitude cases where we've seen, we've had very wealthy people living in mansions diplomats in some cases who uh, are, are forcing people into virtual slavery because mm -hmm. they'll, pay, they'll make them work around the clock, no days off, no little to no pay, no movement uh, to farmers um, you know, who uh, won't allow their, um, their farm workers to, to uh, get medical attention if they get hurt on the farm, to um, you know, people who consider themselves to be in a pimp-prostitute relationship, but they're keeping all the money. Um, so, so the, so the face of human trafficking is 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 very diverse. It's a very diverse set of criminals. Now, what should somebody do if they're suspecting that there's a potential human trafficking situation? What do you recommend that they would would be the first step? Well, first, we would like to try and remind everybody too, because it's very important that. Um, the public understand what to look for because we talked about some of the red flags that, that they can look for red flags but I'd like to kind of give them a little idea of some of the red flags that they, they can look for because we do rely on a lot of tips from the public. Tips that come straight to us, come to local law enforcement officers or come to the NGOs like the Institute. So, you know, if you if you start talking to somebody if you think that you might see a, a trafficking victim, you know, maybe maybe they're, they're, they're over nervous, uh, they seem overly nervous, stressful, paranoid, anxious, uh, uh, 
or, or, or particularly submissive, mm -hmm. that might be a, an, an indicator. And none of these indicators that I'm going to share with you are, 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 are definite, but it could be a, it could be out of the totality of circumstances. You might have a tra trafficking situation, and we also urge the public too, if you think if you think it might be. Give us a call because right. you know, to call. trust your right. trust your trust your gut. Trust your gut because sometimes it, it, you're right. Right. Um, so you could they could be afraid to talk to you. They might not be able to talk to you. Maybe they defer to somebody. You know, and they ask for permission before they talk, so they might not necessarily be able to to even speak for themselves. Uh, or maybe they're showing signs of physical or sexual abuse. Um, uh, other uh, other examples are you know that they uh, maybe they they're not free to move. They have no freedom of movement. No freedom to contact their family. Or or, or their friends, or socialize. Uh, the, uh, I think we talked about it before that maybe their their families might actually be. We've had cases where the families have been threatened back home in their own home country, right. so that they don't really feel like they're they're free to move. In a work relationship, uh, they may be forced to work excessive hours or unusually uh, off uh, off hours. They might not be getting paid at all or being paid very little or being forced to work off a smuggling debt or a smuggling fee. Um, when it comes to uh, a, 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 they, may, they may have been promised a job at, at their home by the recruiter in their home country, and then when they get here, they find themselves in a completely forced to work, completely different situation or completely right. different scenario and they may not be have their their um their, their travel documents or their identity documents so it, all of this goes to sh uh, the the explorers and the traffickers having control over the victim so if so what happens what happens if you think that you might see a trafficking victim or you think you might be a trafficking victim yourself right well so the first thing i always tell everybody is if you're in an emergency situation call 911 if you can, you got to call 911 immediately. Now, if you're not in an emergency situation where you think that you, so if you are the victim, get out, do everything that you can. You know, we've had to choke, uh, we've had people run down the streets in the middle of the night, find a Dunkin' Donuts, and just get lucky that the, that a Nassau County cop was there and he knew to call us, and we were able to identify two victims that way. But uh, you call 911 first if it's an emergency situation, life-threatening situation. If you're, if you think you might be observing a trafficking situation, we ask you to call. You can call DHS at one eight. 866-DHS-2ICE. That's 1-866-DHS-2ICE. Or online, you can contact us at www.ice.gov. And that's www.ice.gov. These tips are very, very important for us, and we do act on them. People sometimes are afraid to come to, directly to law enforcement. Right. They might be ashamed. They might be worried that they might be committing a crime or might get in trouble. You are not going to get in trouble. And if you do, we have... We're trained to, to take care of the victims and, and, and take the victim-centered approach, which means that we put the same amount of emphasis on rescue, identifying and extricating that victim as we do prosecuting the exploiter. But if you don't feel like you can come right to law enforcement, then they're perfectly, they're great uh, social services and, the, and NGOs like the Buffalo the International Institute of Buffalo that really work well with us to make sure that we you can be protected, you can have your identity protected, but you can still be rescued and we can still do our job, which is ex to make sure that we're prosecuting and we're stopping those exploiters from doing, continuing to do to you or to the, to the victims, what, uh, to, to continue to do that to other victims down the line. So our job is to identify the victims, do what we can to get them out of that situation, get them the help that they need and that they deserve. At the same time, if we can, make a criminal case and lock those exploiters up so they can't do that to anybody else. And then when we can, take their money away.
Okay, okay. Well, I tell you, I, I really appreciate the three of you coming on today to really give your different perspectives around this issue. It is such a complex issue to begin with, but I think your 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 last few uh, comments um, is really that if you are suspecting concerns, to reach out and consult, and and if you are a victim yourself, that 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 everybody is there to help you and to to make a call to nine one one or reach out to a resource in your community. So I want to thank my guests today for really shedding a light on the issue of human trafficking. And I just want to remind you that um, if you're looking for information or resources, there's the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. There's also, as already shared, ICE.gov through the Department of Homeland Security. And there's also an international resource, globalmodernslavery.org, that you're able to find your local resources in your own community. So I want to thank you again for joining me for another episode of the Journey Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join me every week Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. So thanks again for tuning in today and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week.